When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah. That plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello, folks. You're all very welcome back to the Celtic Soul podcast with me, Andrew Millen, as your host, and my guest on the show today will be social worker and Celtic fan, Kieran Kenny. This episode has been sponsored by AutoAssure Dundalk. I'd like to thank Owen for his continued support of both the fanzine and now the podcast. If your business or Celtic supporters club would like to support the podcast and become a sponsor, please email us at info at CelticFanzine.com. You can also contact us through the website or message us on social media. So folks, how dark is the cloud hanging over Celtic? Is it dark enough to have mass hysteria from a section of our fans who are micromanaging every move Neil Lennon makes? Neil Lennon was forced to retire from international football after death threats. He has had bullets posted to him in the post and he has been assaulted by a Hearts fan in Twinecastle. So I don't think keyboard warriors will affect him too much at a difficult time in his managerial career. If Celtic fans were in the stadium on Sunday, they would have backed the team for 90 minutes. And if they thought that the cloud was so dark after the result... They would have reacted vocally and would have got Neil's attention because they have backed Neil throughout his career. Remember the unity image of him at Ibrox with Martin O'Neill in front of the broom loan end when he was abused for 90 minutes. We backed him then and I think we still should be backing him. We are six points behind with a game in hand. We are still in all domestic competitions. We are still in Europe and we have a tough assignment away in Lille on Thursday. Who are responsible for the rumours, the bullshit? about the Celtic players, training ground bus stops, even Lenny on the piss and turning up drunk. Is it non-Celtic people, maybe? Possibly. But this bullshit has been retweeted and shared on social media by Celtic fans who should know better than to peddle fake news for the media. Debate is healthy, and everyone is entitled to an opinion. But this season we have witnessed Twitter go toxic. After the game, Neil Lennon did not sound like a manager that was under pressure. But how long will that continue? Like so many Celtic fans, I'm not panicking just yet. But I do wonder if things would be better if Neil had selected his own coaching staff. But I suppose he knew the deal when confronted in the Hamden showers and handed the job by the ever-silent Peter Lawwell. We still have the COVID-19 trio. 
We still have Forrest, Mikey J and Julian to return from injury. Shane Duffy has gone from hero to zero, but Diego has been excellent in attitude and effort. If we do win the league this season, it will be hard fought and I expect it to go right to the wire and I expect the fans to be there back in the team all the way. United we stand, divided we fall. Kieran Kenny is a Dublin-based Celtic fan and a social worker. He is one of the driving forces behind Nave Park Celtic Supporters Club and a regular at Celtic Games over many, many years. Through his job, he has set up the Don Bosco football team and is also involved in Nave Marinogue's special needs GAA team. And he even finds time to write a column for more than 90 minutes and contributes to our website, CelticFansion.com. Hi, Kieran. You're very welcome to the Celtic Soul podcast. We are now on another level five lockdown. No buses for you to run to Celtic Park, but also your work as a social worker and your work within the community must have changed a lot. Yeah, well, Andrew, how about you? We're, we're as good as we can be after yesterday, I suppose. Um, yeah, listen, the lockdown in some ways for me, it has probably meant life at a slower pace. You know, there is no buses. There's a lot more freer nights. Um, a lot of the sports that, that I'm involved with, unfortunately, has had to take a backseat because of this pandemic. And But work-wise, I've been lucky. I'm, I'm very conscious there's lots of people out there whose jobs have, have ceased or stopped and there's huge misery. I, I've been lucky enough and that I've worked right through with the, the, the nature of the work. We would be deemed essential workers. So obviously the, I'm working with young people in care. So I've worked through the whole thing. So it's been a busy few months from that perspective, but certainly has been quiet from a, a social angle like everyone else. Now you mentioned Sunday's game there. Yeah, look, it, it's been a bad week for Celtic fans. You know, you never want to lose to Rangers or the new co-Rangers or whatever we call them now. We also lost to the top Italian team, AC Milan, who had quality throughout the team. And on Sunday, we, we drew in Patadri. As bad as a week it was, in the scheme of things, we still have this season's Scottish Cup to look forward to the semi-final. Oh, sorry, last season's Scottish Cup semi-final this week. In Europe, we're still in the group stages of the Europa League. We still have to start competing in two domestic cups. At the moment, we sit second in the league, six points behind the Rangers. Who, whether we like it or not, they have improved, and it kills me to say it sometimes. We still have a game in hand, and yet we have an outcry from a section of our fans within new fan media and on social media. And I suppose the majority of people I would know, and I would attend matches with, and people I've met over the years, seem to be a lot calmer about the situation. You know, where are you sitting in this argument, Lennon in, Lennon out, and how the season has started. I think we have to back him. I, the, the, there's no doubt there's been a concern and it's not just the, the last three results. It has been performances. There's a concern in relation to we don't know our first 11. We have been incredibly unlucky with injuries. That There is a sense that we don't even know what, what best shape we can go into. You know, I know at the turn of the year, last season, the three of the back worked very well for us. It hasn't worked so well this season, but I've yet to see a viable alternative. You know, I, I think back to pivotal league wins we've had in the past when we have been challenged by them. And I know I was talking to a friend recently about the 07-08 season, uh, the, the famous night we won it in Tanadice. And we, we, we talked about prices. I remember walking out of the Motherwell game in, Jan- in, in the April it was that, that season. And it was gone. Everyone said, the league is gone. I remember Cruyff from his terrace of Strachan get to F, so to speak. And, and, and it was, you know, we have to back and We've had these moments you know, I saw I saw Paul the Tim going on yesterday about the famous time we won the league in Love Street and the defeats we had there. That I haven't seen a viable alternative. I think it is. It, we're not in crisis mode. There's fighting that team yet. You know, and 
there, there, there has been times in the past you said this is gone, you know, and, and the Tony Mowbray one is the very one we often point to. That night in St. Mary, you get stuffed for an ale, it's gone. You know, going back 10 years before that, John Barnes, it was gone. It was gone before the Cali game. You know, spoke to yourself before about the, the day we played, the three days before that Inverness Cali Cup game, we played hard to home. We were 2 0 up, we got beat 3 2. And it was very evident the players are, down, players are down tools. They haven't done that yesterday. There was a bit of fight there. And I still think things can be turned around. You know, let's go back to Lennon's first league win. And the famous day we were 3-0 down in Kilmarnock and we came back and we drew three each. You know, we need a moment like that. We need something to change. There needs to be a trigger moment. But certainly, I think cost it for Lennon to go at present are, are absurd. What, what, what do people think? Are, is Guardiola going to walk in the door tomorrow if Lennon goes? No chance. You know, we have a guy here that knows the scene. He knows what is needed. He knows the league. You know, it's... I think we have to stick with it now. Now, three weeks' time, I might change my, my my mind on that piece, but I don't think we're there yet. You know, you said it. There was five there in Batadri yesterday, bar for some stupid defending, you know, and, you know, some some outrageous decision-making on our own behalf. We go away, we win 3-2, and we're all talking about this wonderful wonderful comeback that's going to kickstart our season. It's fine margins. Yeah, I, you know, you jokingly say, you know, Guardiola's gonna gonna walk in, um, which you know we all know is not gonna happen. If I have a criticism of Neil, it's that he took the job without bringing in his own backroom staff. Brendan Rodgers brought his own backroom staff in. Martin O'Neill brought his own backroom staff in. You know, these are people that you trust. You trust in the dressing room. You know, if there is a bit of a upset, I won't say revolt. It's a big word. If there is some upset within some of the players that they're not happy, at least you've got your coaches. Jock Steen famously. He, you know, we fell out with players, but it was good cop, bad cop. You know, Sean Fallon was the was the go between. We, we we hear about O'Neill leaving his coaching to his coaches. You know, Steve Walford is is you know you speak to a lot of players to say he was he was a great coach, and O'Neill would manage the club from top to bottom. Modern football now doesn't allow that. We've got people sent out to select players to bring them in. If if Lennon was to go. And I don't think he will. Someone said to me last night, but what if it's too late in three or four games? And then, but my argument is, and what if it's not? You know, bringing in another manager or coach is not going to guarantee us that we win the 10 in a row, which is, I suppose, the talk all season. And I got caught up in it myself, but I heard someone else um, speak. I think it was um, on one of the other podcasts, and it was Harry. And he said, you know, like if, if we're doing well in Europe, 10 in a row will fall into place because you'll have a, you know, quality the quality team there, but Kieran, I just think that Alan Thompson last week, you know, blamed Lowell on Twitter and people went bananas, you know, but Peter Lowell has to take his part in the blame if Lennon, you know, if Lennon fails to win the league this year because he appointed him. He appointed his backroom staff and he's appointed his, who, who bring, who is head of recruitment at the club. I'm not going to go into the Brendan Rogers argument because we'll, we'll be flooded with messages and, and texts and, and comments. You know, even further back from Brandon Rogers, Peter Lowell was the chairman, uh, sorry, was the CEO in charge when we had to close a section of a stadium because season book tickets were not sold. So Peter's not without blame. Okay, he's brought in the Adidas deal and he's, he's supposed to be a much sought-after CEO for other clubs. But I think there's a bigger picture here and I think it's too easy to point all the blame at Neil Lennon, especially when we're six points behind with a game in hand. If we were looking in, Kieran, from a different angle, if we were looking at another club, 
and his supporters were going bananas over being six points behind in the league with a game in hand, still in Europe and still in three domestic cups. I think we would think they were bonkers. But because we're so emotionally involved in Celtic, it just seems that we can lose the run of ourselves at times. Yeah, I think this season, to use the expression, I remember Tommy Burns described the time he tried to stop the nine, he says everyone just went gaga and they couldn't see where the club was going. And I think that probably is very true this season. There's a real short-sightedness. So I think on the appointment of Lennon too, the optics of appointing and naming it, regardless of what happened or not, I appointed him in the showers after the treble treble. It was just an amateurish optics piece, you know, that they, they, we're, going to, we're a professional global football club. We do things right. We don't appoint people in showers after games. And I just felt that that gave the perception to some people, this is done with the cheek, this is amateur. So from a starting point of view, it wasn't good. Lennon, funny enough, I think, really has been one of the big losers from the pandemic because we were flying come March. And if he finished that season, I've no doubt we would have won a good travel. We would have won the cup. I've no doubts too that the pressure would have piled on Gerard. Gerard got a level of space. He got to get out clause in, in many ways of the season finishing a match. And Lennon lost out in that piece. So he, a lot of what you say is probably true in relation to Lawwell. But the, the ends and the outs, I, 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 you can only speculate the behind the scenes stuff. You know what you hear and what you don't hear. But I think what we need to do as a club, we need to galvanise. We need to galvanise as a support. We need to get through the next few months. And then look at the bigger picture come May. Everyone is gaga. There's a short-sightedness about the season. And it is what it is, and it's not going to change. And if we get to 10, it's going to be magical, absolutely. But you know what? The club will kick on regardless come May next year. And come May, there will be you know, a big decision for us as fans to make if we haven't been back in the stadium. You know? And that's, can we afford to buy our season books again? Yeah, particularly the likes of ourselves over here in Ireland where... You know, it's not just your season book is the outlet. Every game is an away game. You know, for, for, for lots of us, I don't do anything else socially. I don't go out with lads on a Friday night in beer. What I do socially is the Celtic, and that's it. And that has allowed me go continuously. So for lots of us, you're right, we will have to. If we're in a position where we're as far away now from attending games as we are in May, yeah, I think a lot of people are going to have to look at it. You know, and I've no doubt on a return to protocol is going to be based. We can only speculate, but... Common sense would say it'll be done on the postcode lottery. So those that are nearest Celtic Park will probably get the first opportunity to go back to minimise the level of travel and stuff involved. So I'd imagine ourselves in Dublin and Drogheda and whatever, we'll be one of the last in. It is going to be a question, you know, the commitments, and I'm sure you're the same, we've seen from friends and mates and club members buying season books to effectively watch a game in a telly has been phenomenal. But, you know, can people continue to commit that? Are they prepared to? Who, who knows? That's an individual decision within everyone. But absolutely, I think the, the, the world has changed around us from, from last February, March. And, you know, I think we may see the impact of that come next May, June when we season book renewals. Yeah, I think as well, I think the club possibly scored an own goal as well with um, how refunds were looked at last season, hidden possibly on the website how stuff was related to fans and how little um, we've heard from the people who run the club. What sticks in my throat a little is, you know, Lennon is the front of the club as manager. He's the he's in the fire and nine, day in, day out. But I was very disappointed that a manager, struck, well, a coach really, had to come out and defend the club's COVID-19 policies when Bolangali went off to Spain on his little overnight or, or whatever he, way he went to Spain, I would have expected Peter Lawwell and our doctor, the club doctor, to come out and, and do a press conference. 
But Peter has been silent since the day Brandon Rogers left the club. One of the things that sticks with me is the Kano Foundation. You know, an amazing charity, do unbelievable work. They have had no sort of positive, you know, contact from Celtic as regards, listen, you're a registered charity. We're aware of the incredible work you've done. We've seen it at first hand. We've had loads of kids over from Dublin with them. And they've had to pay full whack. What are you going to do? Tell a, a group of school kids every week, here's a code to watch a game. You know, modern football, and, and unfortunately we're no different at Celtic, is probably the most capitalist outlet on the planet now. Let's be honest. It's so money-driven. At the very top level, it's rotten. And, we, you know, the one thing that we can hold on to is as a support base, I think we've still really kept the origins of the club close to us, the charity base. And we see that in loads of outlets. But I think probably the most obvious one you see that is in the likes of the Kano Foundation. And that is one thing that has sat with me through all this. That they've had to imagine a charity to take them, but they've effectively taken the money from a charity that way. Going back to the piece around getting money, getting the rebates piece, you're right. People, if they're going to take a rebate, they were going to take it. If they weren't, they weren't. The notion of hiding it and, and trying to hide it in the corner, hopefully people won't know, it just stank. And it was a PR disaster. You know, because what you did there is there was a lot of people, and I know personally, supporters that said, I'm not going to take the refund. And you see when they saw how it was done, you know what, F that, they said, they think they're hiding this from me, I am going to now. And they took it out of spice. Now, that was their personal decision, rightly or wrongly. But these are, basically, we, we PR people pay thousands. These are PR stuff that, at the most grassroots level, people should know how to manage. And there's no excuse for that. You know, it is what it is. And, and it's been done to death. But I do think as a support, I think we need to galvanise somebody online stuff the last 24 hours in relation to people, big, massive writing, Lenny out, let the loudest be heard, all this sort of stuff. It's, it's been embarrassing. You know, we've enough enemies out there to Celtic without our own coming to kick us. And I don't mind good Celtic people, but as I said, some people that have, I haven't seen Compton Celtic in years, queuing up now. You know, a clock's right twice, a broken clock is right twice a day. And there's some people determined to see that to be there both day, both times it's right. You know, as the old analogy goes, and I just feel there's enough there's enough enemies of the Celtic without some of the some of the poison, and it is been poison that's been spared the last 24 hours with our club from our own. Yeah, and Kieran, one thing one thing that gets me, and people might think it's because I'm I'm involved in fan media, you know, is some of the, some of our own so-called Celtic fan websites who are regurgitating headlines from Twitter. Twitter and newspapers like The Sun, and I know I go on about it, but, you know, surely the majority of fans can see through this as, you know, and someone said to me, why don't you, you know, put the teams on the website and why don't you do match reports and all that? And I go, because there's so many doing it. You know, we're looking, if we're putting something on the website, it's because someone sat down and put a bit of thought into the article, you know. It may not be everybody's cup of tea, but, you know, at least it's coming from the heart or from you know, someone who's put a bit of thought into it, you know. I could sit here all day and take stuff from Twitter and take stuff from the newspapers and rewrite a little line or two and stick it up. And yeah, I'd probably have more followers. And yeah, I'd probably have more clicks on the website. But people would see through it, you know. I don't want to be part of that. And I know I go on about it a bit. And you're right. There is people within our own support making enemies within the support. People are fighting, shouting. I had a little argument with someone on Messenger last night, and it was a good. Uh, they were, he brought he brought up some great points, you know, and I hope I brought up some points. But it wasn't a shouting match, and it wasn't done publicly uh, on Twitter. And I did say last week, I think on the podcast or maybe something I wrote, that we need to circle the wagons and we need to stick together. 
Yeah, listen, one of the one of the benefits, I suppose, in hindsight, for some of them famous title wins we spoke about with Canadice and Love Street and stuff, is there wasn't social media. There wasn't the option to and and that's not taken away. If people have an opposite opinion, absolutely say it. I'm not there needs to be debate. You know, we're not talking about some Stalinist type regime where you're not allowed to sort of disagree with it. You know, I'm talking about the healthy debate's great, but there has been a queue and some of it has been poisoned. Some of it has, it's been outrageous, some of the stuff, you know, and some of the pictures put up, people putting up derogatory pictures of like Lenin maybe showing the, you know, excessive weight loss and is this the guy you want to lead us to the 10? Like outrageous stuff that's been out there, you know, and I just feel we're better than that. We're better than that as a support. Neil Lennon has been true. He's had bullet sent him in the post. He's been attacked in, in Towing Castle by a fan who was, I think the verdict was not proven. Uh, you know, so like he, he, he's he been up against it. Um, since he arrived in Saltley Park, he had to give up playing for the North because of death threats and so forth. So, you know, I think he's stronger than it's just someone having a go at him on social media. But I do believe there is a few, you know, people on social media who will shout and shout loud, but they won't give a, you know, a viable alternative to if he leaves. But anyway, look, we spend enough time on that, Kieran. Kieran, can you take the listeners back to when, you know, your lifelong love affair started with, with Celtic, you know, when you started travelling? And when I say a love affair, you know, Celtic has led you to a love affair on and off the park. <laughs> it has indeed, Andrew. Uh, I would come from from my family. My father would be have a, a huge interest in Irish culture and Irish music and, and uh, Irish language and the GA and stuff. And he would always say, if there was going to be a football team we're going to follow, it has to be the Celtic. He took me, uh, unbeknownst to himself, the lunacy he was about to walk into on the old Nave Project CSC bus trip in the early 90s. And I think he thought it was going to be a leisurely day out until about a minute up the road, he sort of had a look around and saw some of the characters that were on the bus and thought, this will be an interesting day. And as a young kid from the off, we were poor that day, we drew a hips to each. I just, it was love at first sight. I just fell in love with it. And I remember he came back and he said to me, listen, you can have three more trips this season or we can get Sky into the house. What would you rather? No question, three trips. I don't want to, football for me from the off, then it was about going. And yeah, I fell in love with it. In some senses, the, 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 the trips were brilliant. And the crack was amazing. The football on the park and the results weren't. Um, and it probably benefited me from the perspective of enjoying the last 10 years more. You know, it's, uh, this expression we hear now, Celtic Daz, as often you hear on social media and stuff. But there is no doubt for some of us that did experience the defeats in the 90s and the disappointments. It made the days over the last 10 years all the sweeter. So start of the early 90s when... when Straight from the off, from, from school, I, I, I left school and I worked a year in the civil service, which allowed me to get my first season book, 99-2000, uh, that wonderful season with John Barnes. I've had the season book ever since, and, and the love affair has continued ever since. And But to touch on right, uh, I met my, my wife, Mandy, who's from East Kilbride. I met her on a flight home, uh, was it 2000 and, I'm trying, I'll get shot now, 2011. Uh, I met her coming back from Glasgow after a trip. In the famous Elvis Lounge, if you remember in Presswick Airport, the Elvis Lounge in there. Graceland. Yeah, ha- having a my wadi or two and, and, and feeling brave. And, and I suppose she's been brilliant because I often think, you know, a girl from Scotland probably has a better understanding of football culture and the need to devote yourself to a club, maybe more so than a girl from Dublin that wouldn't really have been brought up for it. So she's had plenty of great days and bad days at Celtic Park. And unfortunately, she has been the one to hold a can of home or a two young kids when I've been gallivanting over on the bus ever since. 
And I've had the pleasure of meeting Mandy. Uh, if you bring the brain, she certainly brings the glamour. <laughs> she likes her sparkles, all right. <laughs> uh, now, now you mentioned that uh, the bus, which uh, the Nave Park supporters bus, which has been named the the chariot, the Nave Park chariot. And I, I've had the pleasure, or oh, this pleasure, sometimes with results of travelling on it myself before I joined St Margaret's when when that found because obviously Hilly would have been there. The load mead booker for fans to go on the Nave Park chariot. You know, and what I find incredible is that it's still going because our own bus has stopped and the Mid Leinster bus has stopped, which they, you know, they had the longest trip, you know. They yeah. went around every county nearly in, in Leinster picking people up on the way. But I still, I still meet them boys on flights. But the most, I suppose, the amazing thing is about how the Nave Park bus is still going is that. You know, we are in an age of cheap flights if you're lucky enough to get in early for a game and book. But that bus has to pass Dublin Airport, you know, on the way on this long journey to Glasgow. So, you know, how the hell is the, the bus avoid? It's probably the voice logic. And you're talking about trips. There's a great Frank Costello and the tribesmen who used to travel from Galway. That was some jaunt many years ago. But, yeah, I, 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 I think people just love the camaraderie of it. You know, it's... It's, it's almost an event. It's a day to crack the group. You know, it's it's not just our own CSC. It's going up to the north. It's having the crack with Big Marty and, and, and you know, Jack the Plaque and Wee Duff and Kev the Tim and all the guys on the ferry. It's it's just that sense of camaraderie and coming together. It's And for other guys, too, there is a value to it. You know, you, you might get a cheap flight, but you're finding that you're paying money to get to the airport, to the park, you're, you're buying your breakfast. You know, the, the old chariot, you can still bring the sambos on and there's... Many means to bring a hip flask and get away with it. And, you know, you can do the charity and £20 in your pocket. And what I've enjoyed is, is it's, it's been brilliant the last few years. We've had the, the captain of the charity, Anto Harty, back on board. But we've a great group of young lads coming through, you know, and, and, and that's been brilliant. And fathers and sons and guys along the way, you know, coming. For, we, we, we've guys from Atlone coming in Offaly and Offaly and picking up lads up, up around the borders and stuff. And that's been brilliant. And, I just think it's the crack. It's it's the friendships that are formed. Like the one thing we really like to think we're good at, you could have a guy booked in on his own and you can be damn sure by the end of the day he won't be on his own. You know, we're home in and that. Because it needs to be, it's not easy. It needs to have a unique selling point. And absolutely, you're right. There's a comfort in a flight. There's no comfort in the ferries. The last game of the season, last season, it was, it was a very famous one. We couldn't get a spot on the ferry. So we went via Hollyhead. It was a, a long, long, long day. Now, I have to say, Chester service station at 9 a.m. in the morning, never saw the lights of it before. I'd say they're still rattled from some of the, the coffee drinking that took place that morning. But it's, it's a unique day out. It's brilliant. I love it. I, I love it, I have to say. It's, it's a coming together. There is a sense of on the one road and, you know, old and young, everyone kind of in it together. And there's a, an eclectic mix of people on the chariot. There's no doubt about that. Now, as you said there, uh, you know, it's, it's not just about the bus, it's about the boat. And a lot of friendships are made within the support on, on, on that boat leaving Belfast and previously to that it was Larn. And one thing I, I always, you know, remember from my many days and nights on the boat was the healthy debate. You know, <laughs> before, before social media or new fan media, you know, the only thing that we had then was the fanzines not the views and, and, and more than 90 minutes, you know, and an old mixed rebel tape. You know, this was our entertainment on the bus. And then when we got on the boat, a few beers, and then the conversations would flow between, and each club would have the little section, you know. So you knew if you went over here, you could chat with this club or 
even though people chatted to that club and people queuing up for tickets and you know, like it, it is, you know, and if you're lucky enough to get a voucher, you, you might get a free breakfast. These are great, like great um I've great memories, but I do remember all the healthy debates we had on them. And me and you had a few disagreements if if you know, truth we, be told. We did indeed. No, and that, and not a lot has changed. Like I, I enjoy guys like like Declan Dunbar and these guys who've traveled from the 60s, 70s, the great Jim Mervin is still going and it's, it's a great insight into Celtic days gone by and debates. I love hearing the stories or the old stories of these guys from the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and stuff travelling and that debate is still runs true but you know the one thing you know when you're on that ferry in your debate and you're a real Celtic man you don't need to know, it's not some fake pseudo name on Twitter, these guys have done the hard yards, these guys know the story and debate's great and that is still the crack, like is there anything like a win at Paradise and the, and the half sailing ferry home on a Saturday evening a point in hands, like you know, somebody. I know when you're fans and you often ask somebody the perfect day, that's often the moment. You sit and you have that point and the stresses of getting everyone to the game is done. The tickets are all done. Everything's done. We've had a win. Everyone's smiling. And it's eight o'clock and you're having a point and you're just surrounded by your own. It's magical. You know, and long may you continue. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Jim Mervyn there and Declan Dunbar, uh, two stars of the boat, you know, and there's others, you know, younger boys coming along, Shamey Dara and... Jim Green and still running the bus from Monaghan and the, you know, the Donegal boys and the, the association, you know, the lads from the association, the Northern clubs up there, Maria Foy from Logan. I could go on and on, you know, but all these great people on the boat, you know, because some, some people have probably passed um, since, you know, we started going on the boat. And I always remember when I used to go around selling the fanzine in the early days, that's when I got to know some of these older guys who maybe went running buses and maybe went as well-known off their own bus. And they used to tell me about the cattle boats, bringing them up to Glasgow. The cattle got off the boat before the Celtic fans. And can you, can you imagine, you know, like if, you know, if these boys had to put their thoughts down in books or if there was social media then and they, they could put their pictures up? Or it wasn't just camaraderie on the boat. It was just to be able to hear these stories. And, you know, you're, they're painting a picture of, of how long they're going. They've been rhyming off teams long before the Lisbon Lions. It's brilliant. Like, and, and there's Jim Mervyn. Like, you know, Jim, you know, I always said Jim's back was worse than his bike, you know. And <laughs> Jim, like, some of the crack, you know, we used to drive Jim mad when we used to be on, on his buses. Absolutely mad. Like, how he didn't kill us, I, I'll never know. We were very fortunate on our 30th anniversary dinner dance a couple of years ago. We, we just honoured Jim because... You know, it's, it's all very well running buses now. It's a very, very different thing running a bus from West Belfast, a Celtic bus in the 70s and 80s. You know, it's a different world. And I think, unfortunately, what we do, and, and, and we, we tend to wait until somebody maybe has moved on before we honour them. And we thought it was really important. The Jim's contribution and Declan Dunbar, and you mentioned Jim Green, and like, it go a long way to find a better South than these guys. You know, they're just, you are right in some ways that it would be wonderful to collect their memories and thoughts because they're of a, some of the stuff going back to the cattle boats and even the trips in the 70s. It's of a bygone era. And, you know, some of our young guys, even ourselves, we don't have a clue what they went through. You know, it's, it's magical, but it's, you know, we, we can talk about podcasts and these guys putting stuff up on Twitter. These guys, you'd listen to them all day talking Celtic. It's just brilliant, you know, and, and that's a unique selling point. We often see guys getting on the chariot for the first time and, and they think it's great and they get up to the boat and suddenly they see... 15, 20 buses and the ferries packed and you're literally picking their job off the floor. It's brilliant. You know, they just, the connection they see, they get it straight away. Everyone knows everyone. As you say, everyone has their own little corner. Some people 
are, corners are better than others. Some people are left in the cheap seats. Others say, no, you can't sit down there. And bemused young fellas in the first trips are going, why not? That's such and such a seat. Jeez, do you know they're shocked by it? It's brilliant. Do you know? And but what I would often say to somebody, if they've gone on it, you should nearly say, you know what? I'm going to do that just once a year. Just go once a year on the chariot. You know, it's just sort of pick a, a random St. Mirren on a Saturday afternoon game and sort of relive your youth again for 24 hours. Oh, you're selling it to me, Kieran. You're selling it to me. <laughs> Maybe once a year. I don't know if I could do it every game. You know, I, 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 I like the comfort of driving up to Dublin Airport and, you know, flying over. The only thing is, you know, before I started to sell the gay M thing, it was a long time to kill it for me car was in the airport and I wasn't having a bill, you know. Uh, and sometimes it was too long and the car got left in the airport and I had to go up the next day. So, you know, a day trip became two days of going up and down to Dublin. But anyway, that's a conversation for another time. Away from Celtic, you know, you said you studied to become a, a social worker. You've worked for over 20 years to Don Bosco. You know, can you explain your job to, to the listeners and can, you know, give us an insight into the people you work with and care for? I have worked, I, I started, would you believe it? I started in Don Bosco. The, the, we won the treble under Martin O'Neill. I was at the Hibs Cup final in 2001 and I started in Don Bosco that Monday. So it's, it's a while ago now. A full head of hair on me there. I've for a long time since I've seen a head of hair on me since. But um, I have worked, we, we work with young people who, for various reasons, can't live at home, who a lot of them come from fairly horrific stories of, of high levels of trauma, abuse, sexual, physical, and have been removed from, from the family home because it's just not safe for them to be there. The young people we would care for would, would generally come to our care, often from maybe age 12 upwards, up to about 23, 24 and an awful lot of them, actually, uh, we, we would try and stay in touch with. So we've been very fortunate. We would still link in with guys in their 30s, even up to their 40s and stuff. And I think what we do quite well is we, we tend to try and work with young people from kind of their emotional age. So we could have somebody that's 18, 19, he might be six foot two, he might be a big physical guy, but he has had a lifetime of trauma. And emotionally, he's probably functioning at 11 or 12 or 13. So we try and work from that base. You know, it's... These people have had very often experienced very few caring people in their lives and their physical facade and the, the way they present themselves can often be a tough man, but often you find some of the most vulnerable are the guys that present as physically the toughest. So I would have worked in two capacities. We have a number of residential centres where they live with us 24-7 and we try and provide kind of on-site therapeutic care. And we would also have a service then where we would try and assist them in Moving on from care back into the community, trying to get supports in place, moving them on to independent living, long-term housing, and just allowing them to get a life that they that they deserved. You know, a lot of them, unfortunately, have been robbed, have had their childhood robbed from them. But that doesn't mean that it has to, has to really shape the rest of their life. And we've had some brilliant stories and some amazing young people come through the most horrific backgrounds and, and live such fulfilling lives. So... I started a six-week placement that has gone on nearly 20 years in May 2001, and I'm very blessed to continue to work with Don Bosco Care since. Kieran, is this job rewarding? From an outside, and I, I know you, you know, many years, and from, from the outside looking in, you know, it's a kind of thing saying, you know, like, oh, no, that wouldn't be for me because that's, it's traumatic. And I'm, like, you did study in college and that, but it does it prepare you for when you go in and you, you start having to deal with these cases for real? No, I don't think, you know, college college is, is great from a theory perspective, I suppose, and people reference it and stuff, but you started your question, is it rewarding? I've loved it. I, I, I wasn't for school, and when I finished school, I went working in the, the state job in the civil service, an office, open plan office, and I hate every moment of it. 
And I just thought, this isn't for me. And I remember the first day I worked in Don Bosco and I thought, this is fantastic. You know, this is, this is brilliant. You know, and, and I suppose I've been very lucky to get great friendships with colleagues, wonderful friendships with young people. And I have found a reward. And yeah, absolutely you're right. There's tough days and there's difficult days. And some of the stories you hear are horrific, but you have to part the story from the young person. We work with young people who, who have abused themselves. They've gone on, but you have to park that. You have to work from a space of working with empathy with the young person. And you do need outlets outside of the work. And probably that's where the likes of stuff I'm involved in, the likes of, of the Celtic has been a brilliant escape for me. But as regards to the job reward, and I've loved it and I'm 20 years there and please God, it'll be 20 years more there. And when you're, when you're in Morka and you're dealing with a case of someone maybe with a mental health issue or addiction, and then you go on your break and the text comes in and someone moaning about Neil Lennon. You know, does it put a perspective to it, you know? Or, or, do, or do you separate yourself from, like, how does it? How do you deal with that, you know, when you see something so trivial as Celtic not winning or something and that, you know, and you, and you can see people with real problems? I, I, I've always been good at separating it. I've always, I've always, I, I was obsessive as a kid about the Celtic and... I was always kept that way. And he always, so it, it probably that was a good way in ways. You could just separate the, the two that you would need. To, I don't think you would sustain yourself in the work if you were unable to, to park it. You know, I've come out of Celtic Park after the feats and the horrors. And knowing maybe you've come off a really difficult shift, but you've been able to park the shift. And like, I'm very lucky. I have a great home life, a wonderful wife, two kids. That all helps. You know, I, you, you need to mind yourself too with outlets after a stressful day. I would be lucky. I, wouldn't be a, I'd be a social drinker. I wouldn't drink at home. And all that helps because if you're looking for a crutch after a difficult day and you're going to move on to alcohol or something like that, you're going down a dangerous road. But yeah, I've always, I've always been good at separating that piece. We do get like, you'd get supervision. You will get a place. We're very lucky in Don Bosco. We have psychotherapists on site that can, you can link in with if you've had a very traumatic instance. I've worked with a young, a young girl, I remember a couple of years ago, who I would have worked incredibly closely with. I literally would have been five days a week with her uh, working with her, and unfortunately she died by suicide. And that was incredibly traumatic. And that sat with me for a long time after. But you are given supports around that. And I think you need them supports if you're going to sustain yourself in the work. But it's been great. But as regards parking it, it's been brilliant. I think the Celtic actually, uh, and my involvement in the Celtic has actually helped me sustain it, to have that outlet outside of the work. Yeah, you mentioned you mentioned going home and having having a stable uh, home life and that, but you you've always had that uh, before you had had your own family because yeah. you said there, but you know your dad, Tig, who's an absolute gent, speaks gently and you know, and, and I'm just picturing him on that first night park bus, but you know because I know that many night park buses. My dad is uh, he, he's he's like myself. He's small in stature, but he's he's a quiet guy and he's a gent. Now he's done. He'd do anything for anyone and he's he spent a lifetime teaching and helping young people himself. So I suppose in some ways, yeah, yeah and Spy used to joke, it was an old line, he used to say, you'll, you'll always be Charlie Windsor, you'll never be the king in your house. You know, with me dad there, but he was, uh, he, he is a gent, he certainly took his eyes open, but I often used to speak to him after on them trips. Whatever about going once, to think that he'd go back over and over and over again, work Monday to Friday with four kids at home, jump on the chariot on a Friday, go home on a Sunday and back to work and he did it for, for countless years. And I suppose as a young fellow, you don't appreciate it at the time, but it's only when you look back now, we have a great laugh of it. And I'm lucky, he still goes over. He's a regular, he flies, he flies now. I've, I've tempted him a few times at the chariot and stuff, but he hasn't bit now. He retired from the chariot quite a number of years ago. And he's dead, right? 
boy, we're on your dad. One thing about, you know, and I've, I've had arguments with people telling them, to tell them to shut up on buses because our club is predominantly based in Mead, the St. Margaret's, you know, and Hilly is originally from Antrim, but he's an, an adopted Mead man, you know, and back in the day, you know, there was the, the big Mead, Dublin, the voyage. I've seen arguments almost coming to punch-ups on buses over bloody Gaelic, but thankfully I've never seen yourself and your dad having a big argument over Gaelic but he's a proud Kerry man, one of the most successful GAA Gaelic counties in the country, and I mean football. Uh, and then you let him down by following the dubs. Uh, he's he's okay with that. He'd always say that's the culture of it. He's uh, yeah, he's a lifetime involvement in the GAA. He still is actually president of the school's GAA body in Dublin, Cumberland Munster. I think he's been to every single All Ireland hurling football final since 1964, which is quite a record now at this stage and. He has still involved at a huge level with GA on the grassroots in primary school level and stuff. And yeah, that, but I have to say he's uh, he was he was all booked up. We were we were hoping to bring him to the last game of the season, and we were very hopeful that the Gertamore um, unveiling of the Gertamore monument over in St Mary's was going to be unveiled that weekend. He was he would be a man with a huge interest in Irish history, and he would have a, an incredible, I suppose, love of the diaspora. And I know in times gone past, we've had the great. Eddie Toner and Jeanette Finney who are huge involved with that Gertha moreover, and I think he's he's really loved their company and speak, and I think it's something he's really excited to be there. So I'm determined when we get over this pandemic to make sure that he's over for the unveiling of the Gertha Moore monument, but it is unveiled. Um, but yes, we're kicking kicking nonstop. So hopefully I'll have a he's more of a tea man than a beer man. Hopefully I'll have a, a cup of tea with him in the airport sometime soon once we get over all this. Yeah, I give him my regards, Kieran, because uh, I do enjoy a conversation with Toig. Uh, he's as I said, a gentleman, and you know his love of Irish and everything Irish and the diaspora is uh, is great. And uh, through you, I, he often sends down a message to me, and it, mean, tell him it, mean, it means a lot. You know, I've you often, know you, you've often you know sent me a little comment. My dad said to say, and they're, they're just lovely little things, you know. Because I, I walked with a lad, people Lee, and um, I think his dad was close to your dad in the Gaelic club. They were, you know. Um, and he, he spoke very highly of your dad as well. So give him uh, all my best. Yeah, I will indeed. Of course, he's a small man, but a, a giant of a man in his own way. Fair play, I'll definitely send him regards. Now, sticking with the GAA, Kieran, the Down Syndrome team that you work with, can you tell us a little bit that? It must, it must be hugely affected now with, with the lockdown. Yeah, I uh, probably soon after the Special Olympics, which was a huge success here in 2003, I, I had been linking in with a guy in our own GA club, Mick Hassan. Now, Mick is now 78, an incredible man, won on All-Ireland with Dublin in 1963. But there was just a void there. There was no GA outlet for young people and older people with special needs. So the, the Special Needs GA club was set up in... Nate Marnog and myself and Mick uh, run it. Now, what we have actually, we, we have young people and older people from all backgrounds of disabilities, some from mild learning disabilities, right up to kind of a high level of needs where they might almost need sort of one-to-one -one care. And and we have them two, three times a week up in Nate Marnog. We're running it now over 15 years. And it's been a brilliant outlet with great stories. There was one young person who used to be so disappointed because his brother used to go up to Nate Marnog and he had no team. And, and his mother said to me, Seriously, every time he goes and he gets his boots, I'm going up to my team. It's about, for me, it was about giving these guys an outlet and identity. And I suppose when you've had a difficult day in work, there's nothing more nicer and more rewarding than going out with these guys. These guys don't care what car you drive, what money you have, what flashy jacket. They just It's a very simple, basic thing in life. 
are you a nice person? And I often think, you know, it sounds almost corny, but it is true. You could learn more from them than they do from us, you know, and we've grown it from, we probably have a core group of about 15, 16 lads, ranging ages from maybe 18 up to early 40s. A couple of them I brought over to Celtic Park, um, which has been brilliant, um, trying to pass on the fate there to them. But it's just been, it's great. It's a great outlet. Unfortunately, uh, uh, quite a number of them would have very compromised immune systems. So we're in a difficult place at the moment and we just feel from a risk aspect, we, we couldn't stand overrunning it just at present. So trying to link in through calls and stuff, it's not the same because for a lot of these guys, it's the only social outlet they have. At present, it's stopped, but we will absolutely, once we get through this stage, we'll absolutely be kicking on with it. But it is a big void and, and I feel the void, so I can only imagine how they feel. And do they play each other or is there other teams? Primarily we play each other. For, it, it was, it now, there's been good movement in Dublin. There's three or four clubs have come to us and they've kicked on themselves. And what we do is a lot of skill-based stuff and drills and we have a little match at the end. And what we're looking to try and do is integrate our group, which is slightly bigger, into other groups. But at the moment, there's just no viable groups. It's very non-competitive. It's very about kind of rewarding the person at their level because there's such a range of levels. We Some of the guys are physically really good athletes and they're moving. They may be functional at a level where they, they wouldn't be able for a mainstream team, but physically they're flying. And some of our other guys, maybe they would have a number of physical issues that would curtail them obviously playing in a, in a match type environment. So it's more about providing a social space, a bit of crack, which is the primary thing, a bit of a laugh, friendships, somewhere to go. And it also, on occasion, which is good, it's important, it can give the parents a level of respite for themselves, maybe go away, get a coffee and stuff, because for, for some of the parents, they're, they're getting older, they're bringing their, their adult children in their early 40s to them, they're now in their 70s and stuff, and it allows them to go away, get a coffee and stuff. So that's an important side to it too, and I've no doubt they're missing that bit of space. So it's just really a community piece, but bringing them together, forming friendships and having a bit of crack. And am I right in saying that they've played in Crow Park? They have played in Crow Park. We've had them out in the pitch in Crow Park yeah, at half time and stuff. And we've, uh, I, I'm a, my, my, through, through my father, really, I'm also involved in the half time games in Crow Park. So for any Irish based outs out there who go to Crow Park, you'll see me dragging out goalposts at every game in Crow Park at half time. So people often say, your wife, most of the patients were saying the few bits are involved in, but we've got them in before for the skills based thing and stuff. And it's been brilliant, you know, and it's great for them. These guys are, the kindest hearted people you could ever meet. And, and it's just unfortunate the times we're living in. We, we just, from a safety perspective, with some of the guys, three or four of them particularly, with their, their compromised immune systems, we just couldn't take a chance running something. God forbid somebody's caught something and, you know, the, the guilt you'd feel over it. So we're still in touch with them very regularly. We're, it's it's going to kick on for it. We were doing it now since 2004. And listen, hopefully we'll have plenty of years ahead of us where we can enjoy it. That's truly amazing. You spoke with the parents having a bit of respite, maybe grabbing a cup of coffee or whatever. But I think, it, you know, when they see the, I suppose, grown-up children on, on the pitch in Crow Park. Oh, the special, special moments. These are things that couldn't happen, Kieran, without the likes of yourself and organisations. Oh, yeah, I, I enjoy it and I get an awful lot from it. You know, it's a two-way piece, you know, and it is all voluntary, but, but I love it. And like, as I said, you have a tough day in work and you go up there, like, it would it'd warm your heart, you know, and I brought loads of guests over, people who come over from Scotland and stuff, they've they've jumped in for an hour and helped out, and everyone that goes, they just walk away and they're smiling. I brought people over to Dublin for the weekend, and we've gone out on a Saturday and Sunday, and they said, you know what the best crack was? The best crack was down at the GA Club on a Saturday morning. That was the thing they took away more so. So, listen, I love it. It's a two-way piece. As much as I like to think I'm giving a small bit, I'm getting far more back. 
And you're very modest, Kieran, because you, you, you said that, you know, it's a great release from, from Walk, but you've also combined Walk with, um, you set up a soccer team for the lads that are living in, with Don Bosco. Yeah, who proudly play in the green and white hoops. There was no other alternative now there on this trip. So yeah, the green and white hoops. So we had lads over years, I would have taken lads for football. And we have some really, really good footballers and guys with a massive keen interest. But a lot of our guys would have had numerous placements. They, they could have come from 20, 30 placements, foster placements, care placements. And they were never part of an area. And, and because of that, they never played organised football. They, they just switched to the radar. Some of them would struggle maybe with managing aspects of behaviour and stuff. So I, st- I just felt there was an need there. There's a void. These guys are crying out for football and they've nowhere to go. And there was a fear going to, there's a fear for a lot of them going up to mainstream teams. Who's your man? Who's, who's the care worker with him? All that sense of, you know, you wanted to keep their privacy. So I set up the thing in 2009, uh, a football. We got three lads on the first day out, which... He always said, I was a bit disappointed the first day. And somebody said, you know what? Isn't that a space for three lads that they wouldn't have had today? I thought it was a great way to frame it. Kept it going and it's gone ever since and grown from strength to strength. We're now up to probably an active group of over 20. Now, I've linked in with Sport Against Racism Ireland, which is a fantastic group um, that provides football and supports for young people from all backgrounds or linking in with direct provision groups and stuff. And they're amazing. And we've had a huge number of them would come from care backgrounds and they've linked in as well. So it's been a brilliant outlet. We play numerous teams. We, we had a very famous win on our first ever year in existence. We went down to, there's a football club in Mead, Toro. I'm not sure if you're not aware of them. Toro United. And I brought down a group of care, of care kids that day for the seven aside competition over four days. And we won it. And I remember one young lad had a baby three months earlier and he cried that day we won. He says, you know what? This is the better day than I had my own kid. And we still actually, that group now moved on to their 30s. But we still meet every, it's the 14th of June is the kind of anniversary weekend. We still try and link it with them that day to remember it since. Living off all our past, but it's, it's brilliant. And it's a great outlet for the lads. I think no more than a Celtic and stuff, it's about giving these guys an identity and a positive outlet. And I couldn't give a damn if they're good or bad a footballer and difference because if you saw me a football pitch, I have nothing to aspire to, you know. So it's about these guys coming, having somewhere to go, having an outlet, giving them a bit of positivity. Because for lots of them, they're living in flats, looking at four walls seven days a week. And it's just to take them out of that environment and plant the seed that there's opportunities here. If you, there's a better life ahead. And it's just that little push. And football is probably one of the best pushes we can give some of these kids. Yeah, Kieran, you mentioned modern football there. Um, I suppose Bruno Warford would, you know, he... he he wouldn't recognise football now. But I tell you one thing, his, he would recognise his spirit and he would recognise it in you. Yeah, I think it's a lot of people. I see lots of people through the Kano Foundation within the Celtic support. I see there's, there's loads of stuff from the Green Brigade food drives and stuff. And I think as a support, we've held on to a lot of that. And I, I've no doubts my, my, my support to Celtic has shaped my own view socially. And then and maybe subconsciously directs it into certain professions or whatever but you know I, I do think at the top level our club is, is no different than most global football clubs and we probably have to be that way to a certain extent if we're going to aspire and continue to kick on but I do think as a support base there's a huge section of us are, are, are still ringing true to what the ethos of the founding fathers view of the football club should be yeah earlier on there we just spoke we just we spoke about you know modern football and it, they've proved now Premier League that they don't need fans Jock Steen famously said football without fans but they proved now I remember Hilly saying to me last year that Bournemouth didn't need to sell a season ticket because they were making so much money from the Premier League 
Whereas we do need to sell season books, uh, Celtic, and you know, and no disrespect to Bournemouth, we're a bigger club with a bigger history. I think the next step, the talking about these Super Leagues and European Leagues, and yeah, it would be great to be involved and play these teams, and that, but it would be the death of Scottish football. I love away days. I love going in Europe away, and I love going domestically away. You know, some days you're going without a ticket, and you're hanging around the ground, and you're hoping that, and I'm not going to mention them, but you know, you're hoping that your four or five bankers are going to come true for you, and, and generally they do, because I, I think there's a kind of an unwritten rule among the among the away day fans that we look after our own before we look after someone that's... And it's probably, maybe it's not a great way for fans who are trying to get in on that away days that us all time is that, you know, making sure we get, we get our tickets. But I think that's the first thing that's going to go after the pandemic is away fans. Because I think clubs are going to see it's costing the money to police away fans. It's costing them money if the damage is seen. Now, we can, we can sell extra season books. The Rangers thing, what they've done on, on Celtic fans and then Celtic done it back them. That's a sign of it, you know. They needed money in for season books. They killed the big Scottish derby. They killed it for fans, you know. And that's for home fans as well. That tribalism, and That's what's great. So I see these Super Leagues as away fans. Because if you look at some countries in Europe, the away fans don't travel. It's not a big thing, you know. It's all about going to home games. And I just fear that going into an next phase now of football where it becomes something like, you know, American football. It's a day out for a home game, but it's not. You know, you're not going to travel. You're not going to have the opportunity maybe to travel to these away grounds. And for me, that would just be... For, and for all hardcore fans, and you know, there's, there's hardcore Man United fans, there's hardcore Liverpool fans, there's hardcore Man City fans who... Although they're enjoying all the money that's pumped into the club, the success it brings and the big European nights, you know, take away their away day with their mates and you take the heart away from, from, from the football fan. Even from a home fan perspective, I have a season book, obviously. I have my little lad's five. I have him a season book. Like, if we move on to what this global European league, let's be very honest, we're not going to get a season book with the price of it. You know, the, the one thing that hasn't changed is Celtic Park. The stadium has changed, everything. But the demographics of those that go hasn't changed. It's still primarily, we've held on to our core support group where an ordinary guy can go and can go very regular. And if we move on to a situation where we're suddenly 60, 70 pounds a ticket, almost what you see replicated at clubs in London, the Arsenal, the Chelsea's, these. That's, that's gone. It's a different demographic. You change that. Suddenly guys have held on to season books and Celtics their life. They're going to be priced out of it. So, so you're right in the way piece, but it's going to have a massive effect on the home thing. There's no way if we move on uh, and football moves to the stage of this almost global type thing. You're telling me £30 tickets getting in the ground, no chance. You know, so you're right. Times move and things move. And if it has to move and we have to be on, but I would rather see us in than out if that's what it is. But it's going to be a massive loss and it's going to be a massive loss of the experience, the match-going experience. And the days of a young guy leaving school and maybe going on and doing an apprentice and being able to get a season book and go regular, that'll be gone because you can't expect a kid like that or a guy at home on a single income with three or four kids spending £70 a match tickets. It's just not feasible. So I think we need to be very, very careful. We look at our core group, we look at our core support, and there's something special there. And the reality is when all these guys in world football are talking about Celtic Park as an arena, they're not talking about the players, they're talking about the fans. And that's the unique thing we have, and that's gone. That's gone if we move on to this level. And we need to be very, very careful around that piece. And I suppose the last people who will be consulted will be the fans. No doubts about that. Well, anyway, Kieran, you've travelled, as I said, from the 90s 
thousands and thousands of miles, and as your flag as your flag says, over land and sea. If you can jump in a, if you had a time machine and you could jump in a time machine, you know, you know, what game would you go back to? Myself and my dad had an incredible bad luck at going to Rangers games in the nineties. But I think the first four games we went to, we never even got a goal. And I remember it shows you how your ambitions change. I remember saying to me, Dad, as a young fella, see Dad with a dream. I just love to see us beat them once. That was it. Just beat them once. That was that was where I was at. And I remember rocking up. I, I always remember going 2nd of January, 1998, and we're going up in the chariot, and Albert McCready, many people know, the famous Albert was running the bus. All right, kid. <laughs> and we had signed Harold Bratback. And somebody said, what's this fella like? He says, I've no idea, he says. He just looks like some kind of right-wing progressive Democrat politician. We did, that was his description of him that day. We had no clue. Billy Wright had been shot dead in the, in the north a couple of days beforehand, and the, the tension going up that day was incredible. We rocked up to the ground, and it was just, I suppose, the midst of everything, the 10-in-a-row season at the time. It was unbelievable. I remember Burley scored after about 66 minutes, and it was the first time my dad would get embarrassed he was a quiet man. I remember looking at him and he jumped up and down and went bananas. And he never would. I've never seen him nearly since do it. And I just remember thinking, at least I've seen him score. But as a moment, when Lambert struck that ball from 25 yards, to this day, it had been my favourite ever Celtic goal. I remember just literally floating for about four weeks after, thinking in my own head, I'd finally seen us beat him. You know, a small thing. And even now on this day when we're on buses and going to games, and you could be giving out tickets and giving out stuff, directions and stuff, and there might be a video on in the background. And even still to this day, when I see that Lambert goal, I kind of pause for a second and go, wow. So that's one that would always jump out. That, 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 was, that was particularly special. Listen, I've been blessed. There's been, there's been loads. I was in Boa Vista the, the, the night we, we, we qualified for the UEFA Cup. And I remember ringing me dad, and there was a great friend of mine who travelled everywhere with me. And I remember looking at me the full-time whistle and crying and just go, dream to this day. And... The scenes in the airport after, that was phenomenal, phenomenal, really. And loads of nights, the night in Tanadice, going up with the Denniston number one CSC. And we were, we were, I suppose it's no harm for people to be thoughtful of it now. The league was gone. We'd been beaten by Motherwell that April and everyone wanted Strack and gone and everything was out and it was all fecked and we, we'd nowhere to go. And suddenly six weeks later, we, we were on the way to Tanadice winning the league. And I suppose the last one that really jumps over me the night against Barcelona, um, the, the, 125th anniversary with me dad there that night. I remember bawling my eyes out. And actually, you have a very quick story on that one. I, I that the house prices in this country had kind of rock bottomed at, at that stage in 2012. And I put in a bid on the house I'm in now, which I could never ordinarily afford. And I remember walking up the London Road up to the Celtic Supporters Association with me dad and getting a phone call from the estate agent that I'd got the house. And I rang my man in Dublin and she was ecstatic. Couldn't believe we'd got it because the bid was a bit low and we didn't think it would be successful. And I remember getting up the next morning, slightly hung over, the worst for wear with my dad. We were staying in the, the Premier Inn in Argyle Street and my sister rang me and she says, I'm just after hearing your news. She says, I'm chuffed. And just totally couldn't, I suppose, couldn't see the wood from the trees. I said, I know, Niamh, I know it means nothing to you. I said, but they're the best team in world football. I can't believe it. He says, what are you on about? I says, the game. So I'm on about the house, you fucking idiot. You know, so <laughs> it was, just, it was the, the, probably moments that the two would, would jump out would be the, the 98 New Year game and the 2012, one, uh, 2012 Barcelona. Would be it's, the, it's funny you mentioned the, the 98 game and a lot of fans think we're at a crossroads now with Lennon. And I interviewed Rob Douglas a couple of weeks ago and, and Rob had said that Paul Lambert 
when he came to Celtic, he said, you know, he was his captain. He said, you know, he says, we're only two games away from disaster, two defeats away from disaster. And we, we've had two defeats and a draw and it's the glass for most people. A lot of people is half empty instead of half full. And Time will tell which side is right in this argument. But um, for now, I think uh, I'll stick with Lennon for, on this one because I don't, I don't see an alternative at this point. I suppose the backbone of this uh, conversation has been, you know, the Nave Park and the Nave Park bus, and just myself. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to. I hope it, I know I'm going to leave people out here, but just over the years, I've had some uh, great, great memories of Nave Park members and the buses and the boat and stuff and stuff we got up to in Glasgow or whatever. You know, there's been plenty of slagging, and I've enjoyed a point or two. Uh, as I said, I can't mention everybody, but you know, Mark and Albert, the, I suppose, the, the founding fathers of the club. Then you have the madness of Jason Conroy and, and Jerry Brady. You know, you have the, the style of the Armani crew, the Scanlon brothers, you know, Pat Bones, who, who I ruined with Milan. You mentioned Anthem, you know, back in the chariot, the king of red wine. You know, your good pal Paul, who, who once won the Paradise Windfall and never bought me a point on the, <laughs> on the way home. That's still... Sticks, sticks with me. Big Karen Bork, Timo, Jack, uh, who I had the privilege of the company in, in Dublin Airport when we welcomed, the, uh, I think it was Dundonald Loyal Chelsea Supporters Club, famous <laughs> baggage hall incident. You know, there's been plenty of early morning chats and back in the day, I used to make my way to Balbriggan uh, for when we would be flying in the early days and Bill Coyley and the Balbriggan boys, the Munkin, who's now with St. Margaret's, and Freddie and that, you know, I would share taxis with them to the airport. Connor Johnson, who I think maybe true you, pulled an all out and take it out of the bag for Gaxi, a Donegal fan who came home from from Glasgow to to witness uh, his, his his father's county in in, in an All Ireland final. I'm not sure if they won that day. And I, and I, as I said, if I left someone out, I do apologise. There's also uh, two other lads who lived in in my county, Loud who used to be picked up in Dunleo, Mark and his dad, Tony. Can we just finish on the motorbike story, please? For those who know Mark and Tony, they're, they're father and son, and they, they're, they're, I suppose, embodied the Celtic support in tough days. They were just, their stories of them going to games is incredible, you know, and when there wasn't a bus on or for some reason ferries wouldn't suit, they'd actually go up on a motorbike. And I remember hearing, talking to Mark, I'd still be great friends with Mark, the New Year game in 88, very, very famous game, Frank McAvenny's uh, score to kind of kick us on to win the centenary season. They, there was no bus on, so they hopped on a motorbike. And outside Gervin, over on the ferry on the bike, up from Stranraer, up the road, outside Gervin, they crashed. Tony got off and actually fractured his arm. Now, at the time, he didn't know. He knew he was in extreme pain. But they suspect this is a Rangers game. We're still going. Got back on the motorbike, got it fixed up, went to the game and drove home. I remember years after saying to Mark, look, Mark, what were you at? That's mad. And just go, oh, it's a Rangers game. We had to go. Just that was the commitment at the time. Mad stuff, you know, mad, mad stuff. And two better selves you wouldn't find. They're just great fellas. And, and Mark still goes occasionally with his kids and stuff today. I know Tony is fitting well up there in Dunleer. It doesn't go as much. But I suppose you'd always think of guys like Tony as, as we're nearing 10 in a row. You know, they went in really bad days and terrible defeats in the 90s and stuff. But... The commitment that they embodied is just magic. And you know what? When, when, when guys like us give out about a bus or there's no toilet on the bus, it tells them the significance about 
crashing outside in Garvin and getting up with a broken arm and going again. You know, incredible stuff. Well, well I drove scooters and I, and I drove to Scotland on scooters, but the weather was always nice. But I, I can imagine, like, in January, the frost on the roads and treacherous, like, you know, and the cold. To go down the whole way to Glasgow on a bike. And and this is why, Karen, that um, it's important now that, you know, we start documenting these stories for, you know, for future generations because they're going to get lost because there was, there was no social media to capture these. And I spoke earlier about, you know, the older boys telling me about these stories of the cattle boats and, you know, the 40s and the 50s folly in Celtic. And I just think maybe if we ever get the time, Karen, we could have a joint project where we could maybe record all these stories and put them down in paper. For, for a little book. I'd love it, yeah. And do you know what? There's some depth of material there. And the characters that would be in them, you know, as much as Celtic has had some, so many great characters over the years on the pitch, what about the characters in the, in the, in the stands? Mad stuff, mad stuff. <laughs> well, listen, Kieran, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for opening up your Celtic soul to us and letting us into your life following Celtic and also with your walk in the community. I, if I can describe it as something, it's probably a modern-day saint. You know, and that you know, you go about your business quietly, and I'm sure a lot of people would be surprised at how much you do, to, and how you find the time to do it within the community. Yeah, so I just like to wish you all the best, and I really look forward to reading your next column for the fans. In I always look forward to getting them, and um, we put one up on the website recently, and we got a great response to it. So keep them coming into us, and uh, keep the faith here. Indeed, we always will, Andrew. Thanks a million. Enjoy it. Take care. Look forward to seeing you soon. Right. Is there such a thing as a modern-day saint? Well, if there is, Kieran Kenny is one. An unsung hero of the community and a credit to his family, his upbringing and extended Celtic family. A modern-day Walford in attitude and actions. Well, we're almost over the line with the new More Than 90 Minutes, issue 111 already, as we head into our 20th year. And myself and Richie are now working hard putting the final touches to the mag before we go to the printers and we upload the digital edition. You can now pre-order the new issue on the website and we also have about 10 copies left of the print edition of issue 110 which is amazing when you think we have no match day sales i cannot thank the readers enough for their continued support and a big shout out to everyone who has subscribed or sponsored the publication and of course i couldn't do it without all the contributors for continually to pen quality articles the new t-shirt designs fellow the boys are back in town and the new rude boys one are now getting screen printed and you can order them at our online shop and sure we'll stick in a little Christmas gift for each other. As always, I would like to thank my producer, Ronan McQuillan, for producing the show and all his help, but he still hasn't given us a song yet. A singer-songwriter on the show every week behind the scenes, and yet we haven't had a song. But maybe during lockdown now, we might get a little tune out of him before Christmas. So if anyone has any requests for Ronan, you can send them in. On the back of a 20 euro note. Yeah, as he says, on the back of a 20 euro note. As always, we appreciate all your support. And uh, if you would like to support us, you can visit CelticFansIn.com where you can become a member, subscribe, buy or donate for the price of a point. Don't forget to download the new app. It's free. Well, it's not really new anymore. It's a couple of months old. But anyway, it's free and you'll get access to all our podcasts, articles, daily news, video content, info on upcoming events if we ever have one, the fanzine and our online shop, all at the touch of a button on your phone or tablet. All episodes of the podcast are now available on all platforms, so hit that subscribe or follow button so you never miss an episode. On Instagram, you can click in straight away and it'll bring you into Spotify. Thanks again to our episode sponsor, Auto Assured and Dark, 
If your business or Celtic Supporters Club like what we're doing with the podcast and would like to become a sponsor, please email us at info at CelticFanzine.com and you can also contact us through the website or message us on social media. Folks, keep all the comments coming in and thanks very much. Uh, they've been mostly positive and a little, we've had a few negative ones, but you're always going to get that, aren't you? And listen, keep the suggestions coming in on guests that you'd like us to have on the show. We've had a few coming in and we've reached out to them. So whether they come on the show or not is another thing, but we have reached out to them. We are back on Friday with episode 37 when we will have another guest opening up their Celtic soul to us. And we will look back at the Lille game and look ahead to the Scottish Cup semi-final against Aberdeen as we continue for the quadruple treble. Enjoy the rest of the weeks, folks. Stay positive and let's hope Celtic can get that positive result against Lille and we can kick on. It's going to be a tough assignment, but you know what? We're Celtic and we're the champions. Stay tuned, stay safe and keep the faith. morning person or a bedtime procrastinator everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style and you'll find the best mattress for you at ashley the new temper adapt collection at ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body conforming technology making every sleep tailored to be your best the collection also features cool to the touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners pets or kids shop the all-new temper adapt collection at ashley in store or online at ashley.com ashley for the love of home